Well, hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Prime Subjective, a Star Trek podcast. We're going to call this one Discovery Palooza because we're doing three episodes in one because we have gotten a little behind. Um, so we're trying to catch up <laughs> by doing uh, season four, episode 10, Galactic Barrier, season four, episode 11, Rosetta, and episode 12, um, uh, species 10C all in one. So we're going to give you um, three for three for the price of one, and it was already free. So I don't know who's winning. We're losing. That's right. Okay, great. Um, and with me, as always, is our wonderful panel. We've got Carrie Hinners. Hello, hello, hello. That is one hello for each episode of. <laughs> We've got Michael Headley. Hi, hi, hi. That's one. Uh, yeah, yeah. And Jay Nim. The Golden Gate Bridge is my inheritance. Wait, what? No, I just said random words. Hi. <laughs> He's calling it back to that guy from um, from that uh, illegal sh um, casino barge who had all mm. those really great uh, um, non sequiturs that made no sense. I love that. Right, right. Yes. <laughs> That's wonderful. That was great. Oh. <laughs> So yes, so um, real quickly before we dive into this in-depth discussion of three episodes in one, um, Jay, how you doing? Uh, I'm I'm good. I'm contemplating a new bean-based framework framework for my health, uh, rather than measuring you know cholesterol, heart rate, whatever. It's just sort of how many different how how is the balance of beans in your life? You know, coffee beans, <laughs> black beans, pinto beans, human beans, all the beans. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Human beans. Yeah. I remember that from the BFG. Um, that's uh, I I I gotta look into that. You gotta let me know how that goes because it's, it's like sort of like a cult, like you know the four humors thing, but instead of humors, mm -hmm. they're beans. And there's like mm -hmm. we have a TikTok ready, and it's gonna be a whole influencer army thing. So you're gonna be like <laughs> dancing music, pointing, being like, mm, coffee beans, yeah, and yeah. human beans. And yeah, and out. also a lot of like guys in cars with sunglasses who are just like, so anyway, I was, you know, they're like driving too, like that sort of, uh, let's call it homegrown news. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that might that's a, whole, most... a whole lot of divorced dads in upstate New York ready. Yeah, with some homegrown news. My favorite kind of news that never leads to people um tourism on january 6th um yeah so uh, <laughs> hey carrie how are you yes! doing <laughs> uh i'm doing great uh today i spent uh the day uh the day's still going so i'm probably still gonna do some more just doing little things around the house fixing up some stuff fixing up some loose doors <clears throat> finishing up some little projects I um one of my one of the things that I hate is cur when curtains have that wrinkle from when they're folded and then you buy a curtain and that wrinkle is always there. So I was like, this is really driving me crazy. So I was ironing some curtains <laughs> today. Yeah. I just hate that. I just hate that. You wash them, you dry them, you steam them, and it's they're not coming out on their own. I mean, I, I'd heard the iron curtain was returning, but I didn't realize it was yes. this, this version of that. This um, version, I, I was definitely ironing curtains for sure today. <laughs> so that's what I was doing. Well, that sounds lovely. A, a nice yeah. weekend of getting the house in order. I, you can't be mad about that. That's great. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Michael Henley, how are you doing? 
Well, right this second, I'm admiring your Iron Curtain joke because that's really, really <laughs> you. Um, no, I'm at, uh, you know uh, having a productive weekend where um, uh, I uh, uh, for my for my nine to five um, we're returning to office next next Monday uh, for like two days a week. Um, and we have not been in the office for about two years. So right now I'm kind of going around basically going like, I don't know how to do this. What do I mm -hmm. need? Um, so lots of like, you know, supplies and just be like, wait, should I buy this? Is this a thing? I feel like I'm going to need this, you know, and, um, and, 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 and all that stuff. And, you know, so, um, a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so no, things are good. And just today catching up on, uh, catching up on these episodes here. So I'm looking forward to talking about Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Um, I've had a lovely weekend. I had some friends over for dinner last night, um, and I made a um, cafe au lait cheesecake. And I ran out of um, graham cracker crumbs. Not ran out of my graham cracker crumbs had gone bad. I smelled them, and I was like, "Well, this smells like sawdust. Probably not a great base for uh, cheesecake." So instead, I crushed I crushed up a bunch of Oreos, which I've read is a great base for cheesecake, oh, which turned out yes. to be a delicious choice. That works. Um, and it came out great, so I feel very pleased with a new a new cheesecake uh, 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 very varietal under my belt. I feel very sounds yummy. Yeah. 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 So, Mike, yeah. Mike, you always ask Chris how he's doing, but like you keep doing that and he's going to get some ideas. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, you mean you mean like it's a, like it's a Joey from Friends thing, like he's like, into me? Oh, no, no. I meant like, you know, <laughs> I view you functionally as a host that is purely a plot device in this podcast, you know. Oh, right. <laughs> And, just, and, right. and I'm, and it's, it's with how charming you are. It's hard to maintain that viewpoint, but <laughs> must stay true to the path. Because to quote Michael Burnham from Star Trek Discovery, "I am right. I must be right." <laughs> and if that's a justification to make big plot-altering decisions in the show, it's going to be mine in real life. Wow. Oh man, I love that big swing and a helpful pivot. Um, because we are here to discuss Star Trek Discovery. So let's dive in. Um, and I, 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 what I'm going to do is I'm going to describe each episode in a synopsis. We're going to discuss each episode in turn. Um, and we're going to go from there. So let's start off with um, episode 10, Galactic Barrier. <clears throat> so um, coming off this last episode, despite uh, Captain Michael Burnham's best efforts, Tarka and Book have acted impulsively without uh, Starfleet authority in destroying a dark matter anomaly ravaging the galaxy. And this was done before the United Federation of Planets had the opportunity to formally make first contact with Species 10C, um, a civilization existing beyond the borders of the galaxy, responsible for creating the anomaly to mine rare elements from the cosmos. Um, this has led Burnham and Discovery to scramble in preparing for a response to 10C, um, and then while Spitenzi has deployed a new anomaly to pick up where they left off. So as Starfleet prepares to emerge from the galaxy to make first contact with Tensi, Stamets' analysis of the new anomaly device reveals that it is more powerful and complex than the one Tarka destroyed. Um, President Rillick insists on accompanying Discovery on this mission, citing her diplomatic background as potentially coming in handy for the anticipated meeting. Uh, Book is prepared to strand Tarka for acting out of turn to destroy the anomaly, but a typically unrepentant Tarka <laughs> convinces him that he still needs his assistance in leaving the galaxy for their own attempt to meet with Tensi, species Tensi. While Book is cautious around the unscrupulous scientist, he agrees, planning to acquire programmable antimatter to make, make such a voyage possible. Um, 
To Saru's visible surprise, Navarre President Tarina, his truly love interest, his, the, 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 um, his Imzadi, if you will, decides at the last minute to join the Discovery to represent her family as part of the, her, uh, the diplomatic delegation. Saru is both happy and anxious as he previously made a romantic overture to her back at Starfleet Command. Um, and as the Discovery navigates through the spatial cells, making up the galactic barrier at the border of the galaxy, Rillick shares a classified message privately with Burnham. The message is from Admiral, Admiral Vance, revealing the new anomaly is headed straight for the heart of the Alpha Quadrant, with Earth and Navarre directly at risk of being torn apart, um, adding to the urgency of the mission. <clears throat> Now, following Tarka's lead book and Tarka arrive at a location for promised antimatter only to learn it is the site of an emerald chain work camp where Tarka, Tarka was kept for years shortly after arriving in the main Star Trek universe. Tarka eases book's suspicions by sharing a story of how he befriended a fellow scientist uh, kept with him at the camp. Um, Tarka is haunted by having to leave his friend behind to escape um, after they've been through the really the ringer together. But as he and Book leave the camp with hidden antimatter, Book assures him this wasn't his fault, while the two prepare to make their own contact with Species 10C. Thanks to calculations by Stamets, Zora, and Adira Tall, who has rejoined the Discovery's crew to lend their expertise with ship shields, the Discovery is able to traverse the galactic barrier and emerge from the Milky Way galaxy. Rillick and Burnham share news of the anomaly's current trajectory with the rest of the crew and assemble delegation as the Discovery travels towards Species 10C. Um, with everyone on board the Dis Discovery now aware of exactly what's at stake, the expedition outside of the galaxy to make first contact with Species 10C carries more weight than ever. Um, and that's that. That's uh, Galactic Barrier in a nutshell. And I'm, by the way, I've, I've. This is. Um, a great recap I found from CBR.com by Sam Stone. They've done a great job, so I don't want to take credit for piecing it together in that beautiful way. Thank you, Sam, for, for that. <laughs> that <was> great. <laughs> Can I get a piece of candy for being so well-behaved and not interrupting? That's You're a very good boy, Jay. I'm very proud of you. And please, yes. Game Master. Functional Game Master, please. <laughs> Functional Game Master. Yes, you're good. And because you were such a good good boy, you get the first uh, you get to fire the first shots on thoughts on this episode. Fire the first fire shots. <laughs> um, am I am I allowed to travel to things that happened that happened in the next two episodes? Um, I think I think it's probably fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. So the Oro storyline where you know Tarka like betrays his friend or whatever. I was really expecting more from that. More from like leaving a guy who's dying behind. Especially, and and I was just like, I don't know, like I get that you can be like, that that's that's haunting or whatever, but I was expecting like for Tarka to betray the guy to escape or something, and then later on we learn that Tarka's plan the whole time is to blow up the DMA and possibly destroy Earth and Vulcan anyway, while also putting Discovery and Book's ship at risk. So this dude is like no qualms about making hard like cruel decisions for what he perceives as a greater good. So for like that guy to be sad about leaving his dying friend, like that racked over leaving his dying friend behind seemed like a weird disconnect where it was like, these are yeah, different realms of. Callousness. And it's like a roller coaster of what they want us to think about him. It's like, do you, do you want us to care about him and think that he actually has feelings or do you want us to think that he's a total psychopath? Um, yeah. He's, he's selective at what he bestows empathy. I definitely agree. Mm -hmm. But it just felt like, because he doesn't have many qualms about, like, putting Book's life in danger in season four, episode 12. 
Like, mm -hmm. the plan is not foolproof for them to get out. Like, he thinks they will, but he doesn't actually know. I don't know, so. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I feel like it would... Yeah, because I'm 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 thinking about I mean you know like we've talked about Tarka before I you know I feel like he's kind of a you know problem of a character for me if only because you know I, I think that he comes across as one dimensional and in instances like this I applaud the attempt to give him dimension but I think the attempts are just raising more questions for me and I feel like I'm trying to like they they keep kind of kind of threading this needle that you know i'm not 100 sure about where he's not someone necessarily who has a death wish he's not someone necessarily who he definitely he's not he, you know he's trying to kind of you know make make good on some of the mistakes he's made in the past basically but he's willing to kind of he, the, the, he doesn't have seem to have any self-awareness of am i making the same bad decisions again it's um you know and 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 all those choices in and of i'm not saying any of those are unbelievable like they are but i think that i feel like tarka just how many episodes have we spent with him? Um, you know, like th several, several, yeah. like maybe half the season at this point, maybe like six episodes have been Tarka centric basically. And I just don't feel like, I feel like this episode's attempts at depth, I needed more given how much time we've spent with him this season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I was affected because it did to me, you know, as a, as a, as a gay person, as a queer person, I was like, okay, well, is this a queer love story? Because also that also tugs on my heartstrings, but it wasn't clear if that's what it was or if they're just buddies who are napping. Not that it should, I guess it doesn't really need to matter either way, but um, it just was interesting um, the way that this or the way they, they just uh, showed it. I, I think it does matter. Well, okay. I, 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 I agree with you, but also like, I feel like, that felt very strategic to me to kind of leave leave their relationship nebulous in a way mm -hmm. that I kind of did not like. I would, yeah. and 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 I don't think this is Star Trek Discovery's fault. I think this is the fault of a lot of shows out there who are kind of dip their toe in that water, but are never really kind of willing mm -hmm. to commit. Whether it's mm -hmm. something that's maybe Disney related, because like like we want to go far, but we don't want to go too far, stuff like that. Yeah. But it's funny because um, Discovery is already queer as hell. Like why would yeah. you be scared? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I both agree and disagree at the same time with what everyone has said. I have feelings about Tarka and I have feelings about the episode. Uh, they're separate from each other. Uh, the feelings that I have about Tarka is like, I, I think I said uh, previously to you guys, I, they're setting him up to be the quote unquote big bad guy. Like he's mm -hmm. the bad guy of the season. It's not it's not the 10C. Species 10C, yeah. It's like, not right. Species 10C. It's, and Tarka is the person they should have been paying attention to this whole time, but they weren't. Mm -hmm. And something else that, that that I think they could have addressed, uh, they are, everybody on the show is dancing around the topic of trauma. So there's so much trauma happening to these people on this show, and especially Tarka, whereas we're trying to analyze his the reasons for his decisions but then you look at his backstory and he was imprisoned for years as a like basically uh basically a slave a, a mm -hmm. prisoner at with this uh, orion syndicate so that could create some messed up uh trains of thought in a person i feel and similar yeah. to book and similar to the decisions that everybody's making 
Um, I don't, I kind of liked that they did not label this relationship with his friend. I think that it didn't need to be labeled. I think they were just trying to show that there was this one person that he cares about. He cares mm -hmm. about himself. He cares about this one other person that he declared his friend. He doesn't care about anybody else. And yeah. whether it was like a sexual relationship or not is not, is not, is besides the point. So it was intimate maybe sexual maybe not but they had an intimate close friendship it felt heartfelt so, like the writing was yeah. very heartfelt yeah with the, the so, yeah i i believe that so it's like whatever it could have been could have been an alien could have been a boy could have been a girl could have been a you know whatever it doesn't matter like, and also if he if so, it is sort of if it, a relationship <laughs> born out of just strong feelings that he that, yeah. that doesn't have a sexual component that does feel very yeah non-ricean which i think is what he's going for i mean he's yeah. trying to not be mm -hmm. where he where he's come from yeah that's a good you know? point too because the risins are very known for their uh touchy-feely sexual yeah for the for the pl pleasures of the flesh uh, and maybe will. they're all sort of like <laughs> pansexual on risa they're probably all very pansexual yeah, yeah. on risa and that's probably just a normal thing and it's not like a thing that he even needs to talk about because it's just like an everyday right. normal Right. Wait, um, wait. So are we are we saying that for Arisian, um, the relationships that you have that are the most intimate are the ones where you don't have sex? Ooh, that would be interesting. That could that be is key. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I I I I could agree with that. I if I, that were a yeah. case, I'm Rysian. No, okay. I don't I don't think discovery <laughs> I don't think Disco discovery deserves credit mm -hmm. for that though. I think Carrie does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, so that's something that's like as us as the watchers are putting our own sure. spin on it. Like I I heard somebody else on the internet to call that a platonic relationship. And I'm like, I don't know if that's necessarily a platonic relationship, but you know, mm -hmm. this person I feel was probably a cisgendered white male. Um in uh I, I'm not hundred percent certain on that, so I'm sorry. But that's what he was putting on it so we're all seeing something different in this right. relationship because it's ambiguous enough mm -hmm. um do you think that term has so, any meaning in space platonic or ambiguous <laughs> cisgendered white male cisgendered white. no no it only makes sense on earth in this uh, yeah, year only to terrans or, or yeah, right <laughs> <laughs> um the other things that I liked about that show, just to move on from Tarka, because we're going to talk about Tarka probably again uh, yes. several times today. Um, I loved their little, their comm badge display that they had at the beginning of this episode where they showed all the comm badges through Star Trek history. I thought that was a fun little, <laughs> a fun little thing that they threw in there. Love I loved, I loved the inclusion of Dr. Harai, their um, science expert that they brought in. And uh, I, I can't remember his exact title, but I love his character so much. And I love that he's always eating something. And yeah. that makes me so happy that whenever I see this character, he's kind of like, um, he doesn't have time for your bullshit and he's always eating <laughs> stuff. <laughs> but, he, but he doesn't, it's like, okay, I, he doesn't have time for people's bullshit. That's true. But it's not for like a good reason. Like he's just kind of a dick. I don't know. Like, compared to Tarka, he is a nice guy. Yeah, but and that's a low bar. And, <laughs> and he's the and he's I, the he's like the language expert, right? He's the yeah. yeah. Don't you feel like is this the episode? Like is this the episode where Rillick has a word with him and tells him to be nicer? Is that this episode? No, that's the not episode. No. That's the next the one. Next yeah, episode. The next episode. She was like, yeah. "You have to be nicer." Basically, so the, yeah. re the the fact that they even 
decided to put that scene in, I'm wondering, so this guy isn't like a one-off type of character if we're spending time on these two characters that are not the part of our main cast. Um, yeah. yeah. He's like playing, in the next episode, he's like playing a crossword puzzle or something, a 3D yeah. crossword oh, puzzle. I want to do a 3D crossword puzzle after seeing that. <laughs> Uh, it did look yeah, cool. That's yeah. amazing. Um, if I may pivot in this episode for a second. Um, you may. Outside of this podcast, I rant about discovery to people in my personal life, and they kind of treat <laughs> me like a senile old grandpa, and it's like, all right, you've had <laughs> your relationship. Now go to bed. Yeah. Um, in, yeah, exactly. And my, I was watching this episode, and my girlfriend was there, and she watched some of it with me, and she suddenly was like, I get it. I get what you're talking about now. Like, I get why you rant about the show. And it was specifically the scene in the hallway with Adira, Stamets, and Burnham, where oh, they yeah. have I, some of I the most unnatural dialogue I've ever yeah. seen. Yeah, um, I didn't like it. And then, like, we both screamed together at the scene where Stamets tries to have, like, a heartfelt scene with Adira. And he goes, <laughs> he goes I'll always keep reaching out because my dad never did. And then she goes... <laughs> They go, they, sorry, they go, okay, I guess I'll watch out. And it just felt like both those scenes, like all the actors read the script and came away with totally different takeaways about what the scene was. And no director was like, hey, what the hell are you guys doing? It's weird to me too. It's weird to me too that, so that Stamets took that relationship over Adira because like maybe Adira has a father and family and stuff. Like, right. you don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't, yeah. So also, comfortable. That's I, that's deal with it. that's like the kind of thing that like I don't know. That feels like you know on a different show. That's the kind of thing where uh, a character would it say predatory. the first part of that sentence. Sorry. It did. It did. If, if say the first part of that sentence, and then they would go to therapy, and then they would learn in their head. Oh, the second part of the sentence, and then they would stop doing that thing because you're because because <laughs> they would be like, oh, I need to stop treating this character like you know like like you know as, as treating myself as some kind of mirror version of my father. You know, in relation mm -hmm. to this character, that's weird. That's creepy. That's unhealthy. I shouldn't do that. I should re be relating to them as a peer. Um, yeah. The, the odd. odd it's odd and it's just like there's so many little interpersonal interactions that just don't have the right vibe like let me give you one more example from this episode that really just tickled me the wrong way so you are a captain <laughs> on a starship well let's say you're a captain on a starship and let's say you have a chief engineer who's trying to help you solve some science medoodle to help you get through the galactic barrier mm -hmm. now they do it and you say thank you mr stamets and then mr stamets says don't thank me, thank Heisenberg. Now, this is not a funny joke. It, then that's okay, because your chief engineer is a big dork, as, there's, as your chief engineer is supposed to be. A gigantic mm -hmm. dork who prefers machines to humans. And that's perfectly fine. But you're their friend and coworker and have been for years. So how mm -hmm. would you respond to this unfunny joke that they thought they would share with you? How would you asking, Do you want a real answer from us? Yeah, I want or a real answer. Speaking from you? <laughs> no, I, want a, I would. Because I, I know would, where you're going with this. I do. I would smile ruefully and just be like, ah, oh, that's him again. He can never take credit yeah. for successes, you know? Like, yeah. um, I asked and my, then, yeah. yeah. I asked my I would sister. Be like, I'd be like, Heisenberg, what a great Geisenberg. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we throw it back. And, and Chris Newcomer, what would you respond? <laughs> I would say, uh, I told you we, we keep our, our comms to business only. 
and then <laughs> see how he responds to that. Uh. <laughs> no, no, joking. Like, really? no, no joking. No joking on the comms. No joking on the comms. <laughs> no joking on the comms. Well, okay, at least no two out of, uh, and, no, and my, when no, I asked, no, uh, no gifts, no gifs. And when I asked my sister, she said, oh, I'd probably chuckle and, you know, you know like humor him with a little. Oh, yeah. So at least three out of four of you, I think, mm-hmm. have kind of hit the nail on the head here. And, mm-hmm. you know, you'd, you'd humor this unfunny joke from someone you care about who's your coworker and have a relationship with. And Burnham instead goes, okay, and then they just move on. I know what you're saying because I, that is one of my biggest pet peeves other than curtains that have a wrinkles in them. I hate <laughs> when people, when you're saying something and people think that they're just like so normal people who think are so normal that they're weird you know do you know what i mean like if you're just a little slightly slightly weird they go okay weirdo like weirdo is the next thing that comes out after that sound okay weirdo why would you make a joke like that we're in engineering (laughs) it's just what kind of crew is this like how did somebody write this as a crew i don't I don't get what the point is. Like the only point of that piece of dialogue is to leave a bad taste in your mouth. Or she could have just said nothing. Yeah, like she right. didn't even have to yeah. respond. She just they could have just left it at that. I mean, or like just give a smile and that would have been great. That would have been perfect. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that lovable dork of mine who's my chief engineer, and then you move on. Right. But there's just it, all these little pieces of dialogue that just exist to leave a bad taste in your mouth. And I don't get it. Why would still it, happen in season four? It, it it feels like this weird kind of like i don't know like uh, i feel like there are a lot of shows that are maybe guilty of this maybe not so egregious as that but it's this weird kind of like ironic like distance that they want to take to the material a little bit for the viewer so like so they'll have stamets make the joke because yes the chief engineer is a big dork and we want to represent that but also like oh but you the viewer did you think that was too dorky don't worry we'll put someone on screen basically just saying like that was too dorky for me kind of i i feel like this is a very (laughs) conscious strategy sometimes when it comes to writing where it's basically just like to not alienate uh viewers viewer yeah. 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 And 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 I'm not even gonna say it makes sense. I'm gonna say that to the to the people like making these shows. Sometimes it makes sense, and it's very very odd to see. That justification mm-hmm. makes me. Ang- to, oh, I know. I know. Against it, yeah. it goes against what uh, Star Trek and especially yeah. Discovery is doing, which is sort of celebrating people's differences. And, yes. you know, letting your freak flag fly in a way. And if you want to make Heisenberg jokes, that's part of it. Like if you're a nerd, that you should be able to feel free to be a nerd among your friends and among your people. That explanation so. makes me angrier than just sheer incompetence. <laughs> I'm more I, I, angry than I was. I, I, I see. I, I, I think this is one of the like, you know, I, I, one of the things that kind of drives me up the wall sometimes about like movies, about shows, all that kind of stuff is like, you know, sometimes like when, when, when you're looking at moments like that, basically you're just like, you know, sometimes movies are very, very good at like making you making people think that that basically just kind of like they went by really quick. But I always think about just like, that line of dialogue, that maybe was a meeting. That was maybe several meetings, or at least that was a half yeah. hour in the writer's brain. You know, like everything in there is very, very deliberate. And so when something is so off key like that, it's just like, why is that in there? And like, it's it's like, it's not like they didn't think about it. Mm-hmm. No, they thought about it a lot. And this is what they is thought about that it. How, like that. Or is that how uh, Senequa, the actress, would mm-hmm. respond to that? Is she just bringing her personality into Could the be. role? Could be. Maybe so that's just another how one. she is. 
Because I know several people like that in real life who would perf- who would who would do that. I know several people who would respond that way. It's not that, totally yeah. out of the ordinary. It's no. not. But like Star Trek isn't supposed to be ordinary. Like it's supposed to be a mixture I, I of like understand. ordinary life and extreme competence porn, where you see people who like yeah. work extreme together and like working porn. together, like yeah. do a I good mean, job can, and try yeah. to overcome things. Exactly I think I've, I think I've stumbled I like upon the answer. Show. I think I've stumbled yeah. upon the answer, and the answer is because Tilly has left. They're trying to fill the Tilly awkwardness void. They're uh, trying to fill the. You know so what? that's really yeah, what that's, it is. That's not nothing. Yeah, yeah that is something. Yeah. Tilly has left. I want to get away from this really quick because Tilly has left reminds me of how in this episode Bryce has Bryce left really mm. quick. Do you remember that? Bryce is like staying behind. He's gonna work with Kovich. Yeah. Kovich yeah. makes Kovich makes uh, some sort of side joke, like it's some like it we're going on a three-hour tour. So and I was wondering if that was foreshadowing. Because on the on Gilligan's Island, they go on a three-hour tour and they get stuck somewhere for years. I have a so, feeling they're not gonna. I don't think they're gonna do that to us again. They've done that gear shift, hard gear I shift, know, too many but times. I get in this. the feeling. I know, I know, but I get the feeling that that's their that's their thing. I feel I like that's not. what they're trying to do. Like the second mm-hmm. season was all in the mirror universe. I'm done. So, <laughs> and the, then we were all in the future. Then it was this, and I feel I like know. we're trying to set up a different, you know, scenario because because yeah. Ko- Kovich says, or maybe he's going to Section Thirty One. I don't know, but he's like, I can't help you. I've got things that are more important. It could be that he's going to Section Thirty One. But they're yeah. in different time timelines, though. Yeah, I'm sure his but... one. Yeah, I'm sure his one character trait of surfing will be very useful to Section Thirty One. <laughs> oh, but anyway, Bryce has left, and and Tilly has left, and uh, uh, they're they're all with Non. They're all with Non. They're hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, whatever her name is. Um. What else? What else? What else? What, I, what else? I might do, I might actually, I might actually go on and describe this next episode. We can keep okay. calling back to the yeah. other other episodes. Oh, Lorne, Lorne, that was the last thing. Lorian, Lorian, yes, continue on. Lorian is now, Morn is now a fixture on Discovery. Say that again. Yes. Morn, uh, the Lorian, um, you know, Morn. The oh yeah, from Deep Space Nine. Morn was from Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not Morn specifically. But it's the Lorian who's sitting at the mm-hmm. bar. The mm-hmm. Lorian name who we know mourn. Right. Is there's also a Lorian on Discovery and they're always sitting at the bar. Great. I'm, uh, I'm wearing I'm wearing a Deep Space Nine t shirt right now, actually. Are you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very good. I hope he's right. as talkative as Morn was. Yeah. I, I do too. Or 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 it has as a, a colorful of background. I hope he also turns out to be a total um, con artist with a, who's running yes. a bunch of different schemes and has a bunch of yeah. like you know people. Who yes, and has also has a what is it that crazy weird like milk bath that was in his room that was disgusting. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it was like milk or mud or something yeah something yeah. some real real um, creamy joining the discovery on the outside of the galaxy Tark and book. <laughs> Decide to secretly stow away. This is, by the way, this is uh, episode 11, Rosetta. Joining the Discovery on the outside of the galaxy, Tark and Book decide to secretly stow away on board the Discovery to reach the anomaly's power source and deactivate it with an experimental device, conveniently developed by Tarka. Though it requires someone to manually implant it in the Starship's engineering section. 
Um, despite President Rillick and the Federation's delegation's concerns, Captains Burnham and Saru insist on leading a small landing party to formally make first contact with Species 10C on a planet linked to their mysterious civilization, civilization joined by Dr. Hugh Colbert and Lieutenant Kayla Dentmer. Arriving on the planet, the landing party finds their sensors are not functioning properly before discovering mass graves, suggesting the native species was unable to evacuate before they endured catastrophic, catastrophic losses. <clears throat> As the team explores an abandoned citadel, uh, Saru reveals his senses are being overloaded by a mysterious presence, causing an exceptional level of anxiety and panic. This condition eventually spreads to affect Colbert and Burnham, with Detmer still managing to keep a level head. The team realizes this condition is related to contaminants in the planet's dust, and Detmer quickly develops a filtration system to restore everyone to their senses, with the incident having caused those suffering from its effects to confront their innermost emotional vulnerabilities. <clears throat> Detecting Burnham and her team have left the Discovery Book and Tarka take the opportunity to furtively teleport aboard to plant their device. Book overhears United Earth Defense Force Flag Officer General Ndoye grow increasingly concerned that the anom anomaly will destroy Earth before Burnham can make first contact. As Tarka distracts the engineering personnel by causing the ship's replicators to malfunction, Book privately meets with uh, Ndoye and convinces her to give him and Tarka a chance to carry out their plan should Burnham's own diplomatic plan prove unsuccessful in getting 10C to stand down. <clears throat> Um, realizing that the structure they're investigating is a nursery for Species 10C, the landing party deduces that the hydrocarbons in the dust are likely how Species 10C communicates, similar to pheromones. Recovering a set of hydrocarbons, the linguists and scientists on Discovery begin analyzing them to decipher uh, 10C's languages so the Federation can properly communicate with them on their own terms. Um, Book takes the opportunity to watch Burnham from the shadows one last time before returning to his own ship, only to discover that Tarka has since taken Jet Reno hostage, kidnapping her after she discovered him planting his device in the Discovery's engineering section as Tarka has further compromised Book's position with Starfleet. And there you go. There's a nice little uh, synops synopsis on Rosetta. Um, any thoughts on this next episode and this three-episode coverage we're doing? Loved Tig so much. Loved Tig Nataro yeah. as one of the few people on the show who uh, does not take themselves seriously while everyone else does. Just yeah. have someone wisecracking be like, calm down. Like, this isn't, you don't need to cry in every scene. <laughs> uh, Tig is great. I, I, I missed Tig so much. It was so great to see. And I thought this was, you know, I know we were just very, we, we were negative on some of the stuff that happened before. I thought this was a, so this episode and the one that follows, I really kind of saw kind of an, kind of an upswing actually, at least for me, because I'm really enjoying what they're doing with species, uh, with species 10C, especially because, you know, I feel like, you know, regardless of, you know, any other issues that Discovery might have, I really feel like they're bringing some solid imagination to the table here of like, what's outside the galaxy? What is Species mm -hmm. 10C? What's it doing? How does it communicate? All this stuff that the, all about the planet, the pheromones, all this stuff, basically how, how it affects the crew. I thought that this was a solid, and and especially you see this even more in the next episode, the, the, this idea of trying to establish communication. But like this felt something kind of new and different for, Star Trek. Not not that, you know, first contact scenarios are different for Star Trek, but this specific type of first contact scenario is different than 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 the normal fare. So I I, I really I, I'm really enjoying like where the plot is going, even though Tarka is still kind of an annoyance. 
Um, so I, I dug this a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And I think, um, uh, especially as we see in this episode and the next, as you're saying, they, they are showing great imagination, um, showing what a species that is immensely more advanced and more powerful and sort of beyond our imaginings could possibly look like in a way that keeps it still very large and mysterious. Like they haven't ruined it uh, for me yet, which is, which is, which seems like it could be easily done, you know, mm -hmm. by with the wrong prosthetic or the wrong scaling of something. Um, yeah. yeah. Jay, you were going to say something? The 10 C stuff is really cool. Um, I'll be even more excited if we get to learn what their culture is like, or get to meet characters from the 10 C. Mm -hmm. um, that's really what I'm holding out hope for. Um, the character stuff in this episode, like from the beginning, just really teed me off wrong because it opens with like an interesting dilemma, a genuinely interesting dilemma, which is should we go through into the Tensi's hyperfield and try and communicate with them immediately? Or should we invest the time to go down to a planet that may have something that helps us communicate or may not? And there's a clock, right? So like your time is valuable. That's a genuinely interesting decision. Mm -hmm. And the way it's introduced is that Michael Burnham talks about it in a captain's log. And then she says, I've made the decision to go down to the planet I will be right. I must be right. And that's that's all we have to evaluate the merits of the decision on. In any other show, Star Trek show, this would be a meeting of the bridge crew where it'd be like, all right, what do you think, science officer? What do you think, first officer? And then if you paid attention to those characters, you'd see how they weigh things and you'd feel rewarded for paying attention because you'd go, oh, like, Worf is discounting this thing because he's from a culture that, that prizes martial things. And But there's none of that. It's just, I'm right. I didn't read it that way. I didn't. I didn't hear it that way. I heard well, it as just somebody trying to uh, uh, convince themselves that the, the that it's the right decision. You know, I have to. We have to be right. I have to be right. I must be right. I have to be. Well, where it really like where it really falls flat is that then in the shuttle bay when they're leaving and Endoya comes up and says like basically, hey, this is stupid. I disagree. The only thing Burnham can say is, I hear you, but we're doing it. And that's the end uh -huh. of that discussion. <laughs> like, you don't, yeah. you don't really know, like, and whatever, it ends up being the right decision in the end, but that's not like a satisfying outcome for that. Like, you don't get points for just bringing up opposing viewpoints. Like, Tom and Jerry have opposing viewpoints. Tom wants to eat Jerry, and Jerry wants to yeah, live. Yeah, but my, but Burnham is the captain, but she's the captain of the ship. And that's not, that's not unusual for, like, people to listen to your opinions and do your, what you want to do anyway. It's like, well, my, just so you know, my say is final. I'll listen to what you have to say, but my say is final. Does so I hear you, but we're in a, I think she does. To who? I think she does. About she this does decision, what she wants she to do anyway. To? I they didn't go that quickly over this decision. And why are you challenging me? Why are you doing this? <laughs> um. All right, guys, let's take a breather. Let's take a breather. All right, all right, everyone, go to your respective corners. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> well, because no, it ties it, more like deeply to the fact that the characters just like don't like they couldn't do that scene even if they really wanted to. Yeah. I think what I think what it also ties to is the idea that as the viewer, I want to I want to understand the stakes. And if Michael is making a decision like this, I want to understand what it's going to cost if she's wrong. And like and they 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 glance over this very, very quickly. I'm not gonna say they they don't establish them, but I do think that as a viewer, you do kind of come in going like basically just like, well, I kind of need to be kind of convinced maybe a little bit. So to have a moment like that where Michael is basically just like, I hear what you're saying, but this is what we're doing, it just makes it feel like the episode okay. is kind of 
we're doing this because we need this to happen. Um, mm-hmm. Where I feel like there's a way you can justify it within yeah. character, you know, like with it. So I, yeah, I, yeah I, I think that's that, that's was, where I come from. It was more like, uh, but I've seen this on all every every Star Trek series. There's always been like the captain has to make this decision. Somebody comes up to him and they're like, I don't want to do it, and the captain's like, Well, we're doing it. So sure. I hear you, but we're doing it. So I mean, I guess it, I guess I'm just saying that of all the things about Discovery, this is low on the list of things. I, mean, I think <laughs> that the captain, like... <laughs> but I, but we seriously see that, right? Like the captain just sort of ignoring, like making decisions for for the reason that they believe. Like it's just a gut instinct yeah. decision a lot of the time, like too yeah, much of the time. Times. Yeah, too most much. times. That's inf- like I would hate to serve on that ship so I, much. I, yeah, I I think the issue is too, and I and I want to be careful when I say this, if only because we don't exist in a vacuum here, and unfortunately, there's a lot of chatter that happens about Star Trek Discovery. I don't know if you guys knew this, but there's a lot of chatter about it. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, I actually don't read know, any like social media about Discovery. Okay. Um, well, there's a lot of uh, you know commentary about out there. Some of it kind of uh, you know perfectly valid. Some of it uh, less than you know like mm-hmm. kind, kind of disingenuous i i, I would I, I would say um uh take that people um but i, I and, and unfortunately <laughs> it becomes words from michael henley it, it becomes a case of ever since discovery started there has been a lot of criticism about michael burnham um mm-hmm. and because of that whenever i see something that kind of causes me to to uh criticize michael burnham i always get very very cautious if only because i feel like i'm aligning myself with the worst people on the planet um you know what <laughs> you i mean the people who hate her yeah. because she's a, a woman of color in the captain Indeed. and not Indeed. yeah 100% right. 100%, 100%. Right. and i'm not saying that i'm incapable of you know leveraging that nuance and finding that distinction it's just right. that you know the people that you look like you're standing up with that kind of thing right it, it, yeah. it's, it's very very challenging when it comes to discussion but that said that said i like michael as a character <laughs> i do but like the thing about this season is this is michael's trip in the captain's chair really and we're at the end of the season towards the end of the season and i keep thinking like if someone asked me is michael a good captain i'd be like i don't know yeah. And that is yeah. a weird position to be in for watching a Star Trek show. And we talked about this before. I think we all agree that we wish she had more gravitas as a, <laughs> as a captain, a little bit more, I don't know. I wish she listened uh, to people more. Mm-hmm. That's what I wish for. Yeah. Like, I have problems with the way that this character makes decisions because we mm-hmm. just kind of like a lot of the times you just kind of have to accept it on faith yeah. that her gut instinct is correct about things. Yeah, that, they're, they're just going to follow her. Yeah. And I especially like, I don't be- not want to serve on a ship where that's like what I have to operate on. It's especially because, you know, this show began all the way back in season one, basically with Michael making kind of a gut decision that basically ended yeah. badly. And badly. it's the very badly and it's the kind of thing of well to kind of answer that now i do feel like you know this show has a responsibility i think to show her i think a little bit more kind of considered in some of her decision making and sometimes Mm -hmm. they just kind of don't uh check that box i think and sometimes it just it just feels like an oversight unfortunately i'd love to talk a little bit more about this specific episode um i think that this episode there was a lot of emotion here it was a lot of talking it was a very much a lot a little action more talking less action um there was like 
And I was trying to come up with all the pairings of people. We had Adira and Detmer and Dr. Harai and Rillick and Saru and Tarina and Taria and Doye and Doye and Book and Indira and Reno and Linus and Reno. And it was like, they were, I'm like writing all this down. I'm like, because this is what this show, this is what this episode was to me. It felt more like a bridge. Relational. Can yeah. I, can Very I ask a relational, about... emotional exploring. Mm-hmm. Can I ask a question about Burnham criticism real quick? Because mm-hmm. I'm I'm thinking about this a lot. And in my mind, like I'm the character is not the issue for me. It's the people who are writing the character and the way that they have the character make decisions. Sure. Yeah. And as I think that, like I'm wondering, is that like a real distinction? Or is it like something? I I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm going to bring in the topic of the 13th Doctor, uh, Jodie Whittaker, because they, they, I, I wanted to love that character and I love the character in concept, but how the writers Mm -hmm. were writing that character, I had a problem with because suddenly the Doctor didn't know anything and her her she was always questioning why 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 what do i do what do i do i don't know what to do why why mm-hmm, if you mm-hmm. go back and watch the episodes that mm-hmm. happens a lot she's always saying why so it's almost like the 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 writers don't know what to do with this character so they're just yeah so i i definitely i i i agree with you there there could be a, a stronger uh i don't know but that's like, that's the parallel that I was thinking. No, they're like character traits that like no matter how you deliver the certain lines that are given to Michael Burnham, like you would just come off bad. Like mm. the fact that Michael Burnham cannot accept criticism without saying, "Oh, and I already did that thing that you want me to do to change." Every time. <laughs> Whether it's like think, when Nan yeah. is on the ship or like other times mm. when they yeah. Like, that's I, just you know, not a good trait to have as like somebody who's in charge, you know? Yeah, I I think that it's, it's so. I mean, and and Jay, are you, are, you know, it kind of sounds like from week to week, it kind of feels like Michael kind of you know like like the individual writers are kind of, or is it kind of like the broader strokes? Both, both. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's some yeah, nice stuff know. like so like the her relationship with Saru was really great. It's great. Mm-hmm. Coming two episodes, it was fantastic. Oh, I heard that that was Doug Jones's idea. Doug Jones went to them and said, "I think there might be something there." I was trying oh, to throw the writers a bone, Carrie, and you're just taking <laughs> it away. Yeah, well, um, Doug Jones had some sway there, I think. Because <laughs> I well. think the foundation of Michael as a character, I think, is strong, especially. And, you know, even though, you know, when I just mentioned season one, like, that is not a criticism mm-hmm. at all. Because I thought that was a very interesting place to put a main character in a, in a Star Trek yeah. show. Someone who yeah. makes a kind of colossal mistake who kind of has to live with it. I think the show has been really touch and go ever since with how much she has to live with it necessarily. Mm-hmm. And how much she's um, learned from it. And how much she's learned from it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So like that, 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 that's where I feel like it kind of really gets stuck in the mud for me. Like it's okay to make mistakes, but then like reflect on them and learn from them and maybe act differently. Mm-hmm. I think it's also maybe a, um, a, a um, out, outgrowth of, well, we've mentioned before how they've changed tack so many times over four seasons. It's yeah. like the characters don't have as much time to settle and grow when they mm-hmm. are constantly in a new universe and in a new uh, 
So, so I, the, the less focus is given to that when you're trying to figure yeah. out, you know, yeah. how do I get out of the mirror universe? Or how do I get mm-hmm. um, my friend who came from the mirror universe and now they are, yeah. um, they're morphing? How do I get them to this door of time? I don't know what's mm-hmm. going on here. <laughs> and they write, yeah, and they write her like, we have, you are too impulsive. You go running off and do things. And then when she right. doesn't, when she tries to not do that, so everybody's like, well, you should do it because you're always running off and doing things. So you're the right. one to do it. So now... Now you're stuck in that hole of being that person. So now you're the captain. So you're just going to run off and do things because that's been the way you've done stuff the whole entire time. Sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. You're just going to keep doing it. <laughs> Another example of that, that was really, really funny. This episode was that they, they explicitly said that she was a xenoanthropologist three times. Yeah, yeah, they're bringing that up a lot. They are bringing that well, up a lot. Because, like, how are we supposed to remember that? I think it happens, like, once. And there's no right. like continual reminder of it. It's not like you know you come in and Picard's like polishing his artifacts or Cisco's like juggling a baseball. It's just like right. oh crap, she's a xenoanthropologist, and like we've never ever shown that without saying it. So we got to say it again. Yeah, like you can't fault Martin Senequa Green for that. That's the writer. No, right. no, no. That's I mean, yeah, entirely. and she's uh... yeah, that 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 is the writers, and yeah, no, that's that's a good point. I oh, sorry, I also sorry. feel like I'm sorry we I dragged this back here. Yeah. I'm excited yeah. to talk about the 10C. Um, yes. I think that <laughs> yeah. they, I think that the environment was really awesome. I, I was excited when they got to that that uh, that planet that yeah. used to be inhabited by the 10C mm-hmm. to see all of those uh, bones, skeletons, and then to mm-hmm. find out it was a nursery, mm-hmm. and then to learn about the terror um, oh, yeah. and, and yeah. all of the different emotions. I Th- like this that is, a lot. Yeah. This is what I mean, because I, you know, I love Star Trek and I've loved it since I was a little kid, but I always thought it was really funny how like you would watch say next generation and it has this opening of basically just like to boldly go where no one has gone before. And then you cut to the episode and it's basically just like, we're escorting these people from this habited planet to this people for a conference. And you're just like, oh, okay. So it's like, you're just ferrying people around basically, you know, you know where you're going, but but, all right, fine, fine, fine. And this and is I different. Like, this yeah. is new, you know. I, I like that these uh, the ten C are yes, they're in a different galaxies. So I'm happy that they did not make them humanoid in any way. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. I'm I'm glad for that. They're completely completely different from a different galaxy. Um, and I think that this episode and the next episode have solidified this to me. They we're just little ant, insignificant little ants to these people. Like we're just oh, yeah. like. Yeah. Uh, some sort of molecules in the air where they're trying to they don't could you imagine they that the, um, the green spotted lantern flies trying to c- communicate with us because i feel like that's what it would be like yeah. you know what i think yeah. that are, that are yeah. invading our... <laughs> that's right that's right that's just like what it's like it's like oh wait i think that this uh spotted lanternfly is trying to communicate with me yeah uh why there's so many of them piled up in front of my door shoot, <laughs> let me just shoot you know lights and sounds and mathematical equations <laughs> at it to see if it's smart yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> No, really I did. Cool. I did enjoy. I did enjoy the um, the psychedelic quality of them discovering the the um, what the hydrocarbons do to the to the psyche, and then specifically Dr. Colbert having his like, oh, I just wanted to live in that peaceful moment. I haven't felt peace in such mm-hmm. a long time. I was like, oh my god, yeah. this poor guy. Yeah. And, and that's just from his marriage. That's not from what he's been through. It's just from the marriage. No, <laughs> Kidding. We are mm-hmm. reborn from the mycelial network. He's been through a lot. <laughs> yes, yeah. 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 Um, 
Any any other thoughts on this specific episode before I describe the last one, and then we can have an all-encompassing yeah. full? Yeah. Uh, I'm ready else? to go. I, yeah. I so there's a scene with Adira and Detmer at the end of this episode where wait is this the same episode? Oh yeah. Or? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I find I'm not entirely sure what they're trying to do with Adira, and I like that. It just seems like a sort of mm-hmm. general mm-hmm. malaise and feeling of not belonging and. That's interesting, especially because like it feels like there's more than just Gray leaving to cause this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it, like we don't know what it is yet. And I hope I did like that scene. More. Yeah, I did like yeah. that little interaction. Now that you mention it, because it it was really good in making it feel like uh this is like you just uh in, approached a celebrity or somebody that you really admire or role model or something mm-hmm. at, at in a in a everyday sort of setting mm-hmm. and approaching them and thinking that oh my god i i can never be like you in a million years and it had that type of feeling to me yeah, yeah. i actually yeah. i really like the way they're handling adira's character because like they're not saying that much and they're just kind of showing us snapshots and I wish yeah. there was I more do, of that pacing. I liked it. A I lot. do wish. I do wish Adira though was. Uh, I do get frustrated when Adira is too uh, too anxious about things. I, I wish there was mm-hmm. like maybe in social situations. This is when 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 they ha- have uh, trouble interacting. But when they're at work, when they're doing yeah. their thing, they're mm-hmm. an expert at that thing. They are not having that problem at all. So I, I kind of wish. That there yeah, was a little bring, bit more. Bring that, um, of that. bring that, uh, West, yeah, bring that Wesley Crusher Wunderkind energy to the work. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. And yeah. we and we hear it talked about, right? Like Stamets, Stamets goes like, "Oh, we wouldn't like, we need you on the shields. We're not going to make it through the bubbles yeah. otherwise." And mm-hmm. but that's as much as we get. Yeah, confident yeah. and humble and anxious would be a good uh, mix for. Anyway, let's continue. Stop reading my Tinder profile, Carrie. <laughs> Jeez. Uh... <laughs> you're up to i want to know what you're doing well i'm confident humble and anxious baby i'll tell you okay so uh uh uh, for species 10c this is this the 12th episode of of um discovery after dr hugh culber and the linguistics teams on the discovery decipher the hydrocarbon species 10c uses to communicate they deploy a fleet of robots containing diplomatic messages petitioning for peace to the mysterious civilization in response, the discovery is suddenly enveloped in a strange substance and drawn deeper into uh, Species 10C's region of space. This coincides with Tarka's analysis of the anomaly, finding a way to extract its power source through Book. Um, though Book uh, insists he refocuses his efforts to find a way for the starship to escape from Species 10C's enveloping membrane instead. Enveloping membrane. Oh dear. Recalling the species 10C is using the anomaly to mine boronite, Burnham decides to beam a supply of boronite directly onto the membrane as a gesture of goodwill to them. This prompts 10C, a towering creature, to approach the discovery directly and transmit a mix of emotions simultaneously through the hydrocarbons. As Saru and Burnham develop responses and decode Species 10C's language further, Colbert notices Reno is missing from the Discovery as he performs a diagnostic on the Discovery's sentient ship computer, Sora. Noticing the tension growing between Book and Tarka, Reno innocently asks for black licorice, which she then secretly uses to fashion a crude communications device with materials that she has available to her in her makeshift cell. 
Catching a glimpse of Tarka's projections for his strategy to deactivate the anomaly, Reno realizes Tarka intends to gain its power source at the expense of destroying the discovery in the process, privately warning Book of Tarka's treacherous deception. Book confronts Tarka over this, resulting in an altercation that leads to Tarka easily incapacitating Book and placing him in the same cell as Reno. Um, Rillick volunteers to meet directly with Species 10C, accompanied by Burnham, Saru, and Tarina. Uh, General Ndoye opts to remain on the Discovery to carry out Tarka's plan to hack into the ship's system, unaware of his manipulative motives. The delegation is teleported by Species 10C to a facsimile of the Discovery's bridge to make them more comfortable, uh, before asking why an isolytic weapon was employed to destroy uh, the first anomaly. Just as the delegation reaches a breakthrough in first contact, Tarka enacts his plan and escapes in Book's ship. Um, this apparent betrayal causes Tensee to abruptly teleport the delegation back to the Discovery, where, um, uh, where they're contacted by Reno using her comms device, uh, having been given Book's overrides to overcome the security system blocking her transmission. With the stakes now laid out and Tarka's deception revealed, Burnham and her friends realize they only have four hours to stop Tarka and prevent the anomaly from destroying Earth. Um, and that's the episode. Um, uh, first of all, I just got to say, when um, when Tarka unleashed like that, like the power of like, kicked Book's ass, basically, I was just like, oh, geez, Louise, this is very violent. <laughs> and I mean, and he's just doing that all through you know, technology, right? He's yeah, just it like, turns out animals are no match for technology. Right. One had the power of animals, yeah. one had the power of technology. Guess right. who wins? Yeah. <laughs> Guess who That's wins? true. <laughs> I like this yeah. episode a lot. I like it. I did a lot. too. Yeah. 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 yeah this, I agree. This, yeah, yeah. This is, uh, you know, like the, the whole first contact and everything. It reminded me a lot of, well, it reminded me of two things. One, obviously, like I, I feel like outside of Star Trek II, uh, the movie Arrival, which came out a couple years yeah, ago. Yeah. I was thinking I'm, about that. I love that movie a lot, and this felt, you know, kind of very of a piece with that. I mean, I love movies that are about first contact with aliens, just kind of in general. And the other thing is, like, Tarka kind of crystallized for me in this little bit, uh, in this episode. I'm not saying I like him more, but I mm -hmm. understand his function now in the sense that this felt very much like a, so this is a, you know, like, like this is a very, like, it's a very, like, 1950s sci-fi movie for, you know, anybody who has ever seen, like, one of those where, like, there's always, like, two types of people, the one being, like, the either the U.S. president or, you know, or the scientists or whomever who are basically like, no, we have to make contact with the aliens. They're doing, you know, X, Y, and Z. And they always have the warmonger, basically, general who's basically just like, nope, we got to kill them all, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, Tarka's the warmonger. All right, got it. And not only that, he is okay with basically obliterating everything question mark in order to make this yeah. happen you know yeah. so he's you know like he he really kind of you know weds himself to his one dimensionality in this episode i felt yeah it's interesting okay i wasn't sure whether or not everything is destroyed or not because it seems unclear whether or not there's enough time to evacuate people off of earth and navarre before it becomes a toxic yeah. waste dump or not yeah i yeah. wasn't entirely clear on that yeah, I think Tark at one point says they, they'll have some days to get off of Earth, but still, I'm pretty like, sure he says, like, a month, but then other people seem to say that's not the case. But either know. way, destroying it, uh, even in, in that sort of... Well, with, the with, a, with an escape gonna, plan, yeah. <laughs> it's not Yeah, the still gonna, plans are still going to get destroyed, and maybe some people will be saved, maybe. And a month just plain doesn't seem like enough time, you know? Like, yeah, that, that, yeah I mean, regardless of what we slice it. Pack up my really. paintings alone would take two months. My goodness, I, know, I can't even imagine. I know. 
Yeah. I moved 20 I, minutes and it took me like <laughs> multiple months. Like this is crazy. <laughs> crazy I agree guys. about the I agree about the cool classic uh, sci-fi uh, vibes of, of yeah. this show. Well, and it also had um it also had Star Trek for the Voyage Home vibes as well. You know, we've got to learn how to speak to this crazy alien creature before Earth is destroyed. Very, very. Close encounters. Close encounters with the close encounters. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. how we see them have to like recreate emojis with more primitive forms of communication yes. to send to the ten C. Like, what is it? What is sad? <laughs> oh my that was god! Great. What is what is the that. emoji for me? Like, that was right. cool. Yeah. I like that a lot. That was fun. Good old fashioned um, fun. You know what? Actually, yeah. it's interesting because it was fun, but also like a puzzle. And that's like, those are two things you don't see together very often in, like, I wish there was more of them. Yes. But usually, like, the fun bits are like gun shooting and like, all right, yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. Or like spaceship shooting. But here it was like, wow, I can use my brain and like be excited. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I wish there was more I, of that, just the medium. I general. really liked, mm-hmm. um, okay, so I do really like that Reno was taken hostage. Oh. I thought that was a very smart oh move. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I kind of wish that uh, Booker got there maybe at the same time as her, that he, because he needed Reno. Like, it made Reno so important to this ship. Like, it made, suddenly her character is is gonna save all of humanity now. That's how important she is because she has to uh, make Booker realize what a bad guy uh, uh, Tarka was. And apparently, uh, Tignataro is the only person who could do that. But yeah. I, ki- I kind of wish that Booker was, I had that realization, came to that realization maybe a little bit more on his own without her help. And maybe she was, maybe that she was just the one who pushed him over the edge, but it seemed like he was never gonna get there. He I was mean, never going to get there without any help. One of the, I wonder if that of, was even oh, their intention, if only because, from what I understand, Tignataris' schedule basically made the availability here kind of tight. So the availability that you see here was basically all they could yeah. get from Tignataris. Yeah. So, but mm-hmm. and I have to wonder if maybe they imagined, you know, yeah, um, Tig being brought in earlier. Yeah. yeah. There was a scene, and it was in the last episode, but those scenes of just like the everyday, you know, uh, tasks of jet. Uh, Jet Reno on the crew of the Discovery was a really kind of cool too. <laughs> okay. Just check doing her checklist, her daily checklist on Discovery. This brought up something really weird for me, which is that like throughout our criticisms, we've talked about how we would love more slice of life stuff, right? And nobody's mm-hmm. ever said no to that. The real, the only objection has been like, well, I guess they didn't have enough time, which is something that we'll never really know for sure. But. Mm-hmm. Then we get it in this episode, and we only get it yeah. because because the mm-hmm. antagonist is crawling around in the vents, and I yeah. I just there's something about that that's like strange to me. Like why couldn't <laughs> we get it for ourselves instead of for the like to bring it up as like well will this sway the antagonist into being charmed by life aboard this ship? Mm-hmm. Like, why couldn't I, we just get it yeah. for ourselves earlier? I don't know. I <laughs> because I, those um, were great scenes. Yeah, those were great scenes. I think that Tarka betraying Booker is like, duh, like everybody knew he was going to do that. That was like no big surprise. I was guess, I guess I was surprised at his uh, extreme force when confronted, I guess, if anything, but um, yeah. Uh, Oh, oh, Booker's explanation about his name was in this episode. We finally Mm -hmm. read it and that he was the the dread pirate Roberts. (laughs) The fifth. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One thing about Booker I found really, so, okay. This 
You remember how three episodes ago they kept on talking about how Book was logical and rational and listens to evidence, and they said that like four times in a row in the one where like, yes. yeah. Yes. And I feel like the Booker we saw in this episode was not that in the least. <laughs> like, I no, think he I think listened. He's... No, he listened to uh, Jet Reno. He was like, "What? You want me to do what? Okay." <laughs> he does listen. That's true. That's true. But I feel like. He's also extremely naive and trusts a lot in individual people, which is not yeah. a very rational way to approach crime um, <laughs> or smuggling, <laughs> yeah. let alone who you chose to po- choose to possibly blow up the universe. He was doing like smuggling and crime and like good guy kind of smuggling, but, not the bad guy kind of smuggling. <laughs> but the fact that you believe in like that you're a good mm-hmm. guy and that you're doing you have principles. For the good of things. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. principles. That's like not mm-hmm. a rational, cynical way of looking at the world that shows that you believe in like a more mm-hmm. emotional view of the world where there are like good yeah. people and like you are a good person. And he's like always been like a naive, trusting, but like charming and likable person. Like he's not a bad character. He's like fun. He's charming. Yeah. He's, mm-hmm. But he trusts certain people a lot, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I'm still kind of peeved that for that one episode, they just rewrote him to like fit mm. a plot. <laughs> but it's like, no, he's a charming, likable person yeah. who trusts people and like wants to do the right thing, who's lived a very strange life. And that's cool that he has. Anyway. Yeah, I, I um, yeah, I, I was glad to see him come to his senses. I We knew it would happen yeah. eventually. Um, yeah. I was also really glad to see... Um, they give Tig the chance to do some like, not just comedic relief acting, but like some backstory acting. And like, she did a lot, she did a great job. She did, she did such a, one thing that Discovery, like I wish it had more of, that we get a lot of in this episode, is just like a character who doesn't take the humans seriously at all. Like in every other Mm. Star Trek installation, there's one, you know, like Next Generation has Guinan, they have Q, who's just like, you think you're so important and I'm just gonna mess with you for fun. Um, Deep Space Nine, there's Quark. And finally, we get like Jet Reno, like unleashing that in full on this episode. Like after Cleveland Booker gives his backstory, she goes, you share a name with someone. That's not confusing. And I was like, yes, thank you. <laughs> More of that. Like I never knew being a hostage could be so boring. It was like a phenomenon. Yeah. I think I think that the character is definitely a grounding presence for sure. Yeah. yeah. Just like fun. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. No one could do it better. Um, Love Tig. So it's kind of weird. We all just kind of said we liked this episode. Yeah, we liked it. It was good. I I think that, um, okay, so I guess the the criticism that I had about it is I'm getting, like I was saying before, I'm getting the sense that these, uh, the 10C were sort of insignificant to them. We, they don't even understand that we are intelligent creatures. That's how right. like kind of small right. we are. So they didn't right. realize that they were hurting significant creatures. So I definitely liked the part where we were trying to, they were trying to convey the terror. We know about mm-hmm. the terror you felt. Here's terror that we felt. Okay, now we can learn to communicate. I, 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 I definitely appreciated that. But I think that there's an angle and we do have one more episode but i think we're gonna get caught in a stop tarka at all costs kind of scenario next episode yeah but wouldn't it have been a good idea what guys tell me if this would have been a good idea or not (laughs) um 
because it would make everything in the 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 Milky Way galaxy here seem so insignificant. Everything because there's this all this other stuff outside of us. We are not everything. We yeah. are not we are mm-hmm. not the center of the universe. Anything. I don't yeah. think exi- yeah. I don't think existential dread sells very well. I love but guys, I love it. I do love I it. I like though. it. Yeah. I like it yeah. too. I just yeah. think, you know, if yeah. I feel like I was feeling existential dread from this episode, and I guess I just wanted at least one character to address that. To it doesn't even have to be yeah, just I just kind of wanted acknowledgement of this because they I love the scene where they're spent standing and the 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 cargo bay and looking out and they are actually they actually look small compared to yeah. the thing so visually they were giving me that I just at least wanted a little bit more acknowledgement. also give, given what we know about how they shoot those scenes now which now that we know that it's not like a green screen it's actually a big old screen that they're all seeing the same images yeah, yeah. that must have been really cool to shoot I mean that must yeah. have been really neat mm-hmm. to be there on that set and see that creature I feel like we yeah. do kind of get some of the like it's not explicitly mentioned as existential dread but we actually get some character building relationships between Burnham and Saru. And they, they're, yeah. you know, Burnham says, I feel, I have the quote written here, says the 10C, they hold all the cards here. I feel like everything is just slipping through my fingers. Um, that's at least an admission of powerlessness, if not directly existential yeah. dread. And mm-hmm. then they like scream together to just kind of like <laughs> yeah. a very primal way of like feeling alive again and asserting yeah. your own importance in an uncertain world where you're in a helpless situation. I really appreciated that. Yeah. Also, loved that Burnham gives Saru Vulcan advice and it's like they overcompensate in public which is just such a great like it colors all yeah. the ways that you've seen Vulcans previously in a different yeah. way mm-hmm. yeah. they tend to do that when they uh, care like, about somebody that's Vulcans for you and that lines up with how we've seen Vulcans previously like whoever wrote yeah. that has watched Star Trek and like thought about it and I appreciated that mm-hmm. a lot yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah no I agree Anyone else have any nice things to say? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like yeah, there's I, a part where they beamed in other people from, they were like, we need more minds for this. So yes. they, besides yeah. just mm-hmm. their own minds. So they right. needed to get more, they needed their brainstorming think tank here. They're like, let's get everybody around this. Okay, so I do have one, one my one gripe is so that they, the blonde woman from the, the, uh, the, um, from the bridge, what is her name? Do we know her name? She's oh, always got one yeah. tendril of hair here. Yes, they need to Nielsen. Nielsen, right? Nielsen. Oh, Nielsen. Oh, yeah. Her name is Tendril Nielsen. <laughs> Tendril <laughs> Nielsen. They need to be a little less precious with her wig because it cannot look exactly the same in every scene. That's just statistically <laughs> impossible. And makes me be like, hey, wait a minute. That's definitely a wig. Because always just the one little <laughs> strand right there. I was like, we need to. Yeah. We need to get the the, uh, the less perfect perfectionist um, hairstylist yeah. on that wig, and I think we'll be good. <laughs> Do we know anything about Nielsen? Um, I don't think so. I don't because know. We did, we, yeah. <laughs> because, like, Relic is like, hey, should you leave to Burnham? And Burnham's like, like, or Relic is like, sorry, I think this is actually the previous episode, but Burnham takes, like, a bunch of people with her, right, to the to the planet, and <clears throat> Relic is like, yeah. hey, maybe you shouldn't take yourself and your first officer. And Burnham goes, you're in capable hands with Commander Nielsen. And I was like, what do I know about Nielsen? (laughs) Is that actually true? (laughs) Do you guys think think that Ndoye sabotaged the ship too easily? I do. Like, yeah. 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 I don't know. She's she's just like kind of belligerent as a character trait. Yeah, she's not. Which is, yeah. 
she's got she's like not fit the earth is not federation she's not federation she's earth right. she's for earth she's not for the federation she is a earth and titan. person yeah earth and titan that's right but like she now also it, sorry yeah. now since you were talking about that that interaction she had with uh burnham in the last episode jay um where she said that she thought it wasn't a good idea for them to go to that planet. and she wasn't listening and, to and Burnham and she wasn't listened to and it was very dismissive I That's think just... now now that we're seeing all of these shows together and we're talking about it like that it's making it make a little bit more sense for me because I'm like okay she was clearly dismissed and nobody was listening to her and so she was going to go with books so there but what's also tough <laughs> about that interaction for me is that like they couldn't have gone any other way like because the decision wasn't made for any reason so like when Noya says, hey, I don't like that decision, we should go talk to the 10C, Burnham's options are either, well, I made this decision and I think it's right, so we're going to keep on doing it, or, okay, I believe you, let's change, because there's no rationale. Well, I know, but I mean, decision. I mean, but from Endoye's perspective, so I'm switching yeah. it now and thinking about the, the Endoye character. Yeah, what, why Endoye might... What, yeah. 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 <clears throat> Either way, though, it would have been unsatisfying, like, because there's no reason why the decision would have yeah. Or maybe know. maybe Michael Burnham could have been more confrontational with her. Like, look, you're giving me a hard time for this. I don't have time for this or something. Something yeah, could a little have been. bit more like that along yeah. those lines. <clears throat> well, we've actually um we, we uh, we're at we're actually coming to sort of to the end of the time we have allotted for our our beautiful mm -hmm. podcast. And I think we've covered a lot mm -hmm. of things. Anybody have any sort of final thoughts about any of the episodes? Yeah. Uh, any any thoughts going on? It's just given me lots of existential dread. I just feel so small and, and insignificant and nothing matters, but it's okay, <laughs> but it's fine because we have I each feel, other. I feel <laughs> like the existential dread of, you know, <laughs> believing that all your, you know, the, the, the personal existential dread of believing that none of your previous choices matter are something that's showing up on Picard this season as well. So it's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's a double dose of existential dread. Yeah. I wish yeah. the whole I, I wish the whole show was like episode twelve. Yeah, I feel that yeah, it, it, it's been a great good. episode. Yeah, <laughs> I would I would enjoy the show a lot more. Well, hopefully, episode thirteen <laughs> will have more of the same yeah. and more more of the good stuff we like. And... Maybe you know what it was like. The last episode was like you know Back to the Future. There was Back to the Future first one, and the third one was really good, but the second one wasn't so great. But it needed the second one to get to the third one to make it really good. <laughs> I like we the second have, one. We can have a long debate about which Back to the Future is 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 the one that's not good because everyone has one and everyone's one is slightly different. You didn't like I Future love Biff as Donald Trump? I love oh, yeah, Back yeah. to the Future too. It's great. Um, I love the old streets. West one. I love the old West one. Okay. So do I. I grew up loving that movie and then I went to film school and everyone just said just like, yeah, the first two they are great. Basically, and the third one basically well, they completely shit really? the bed on that oh, one. I'm sorry. Like, what are you talking right. about? As a, I'm as a, sorry yeah. I brought this up. As a border, tell us how yeah. young he is. Yeah. yeah, as a borderline Zoomer slash millennial, we're only allowed to watch one franchise from the 80s, and I chose Police <laughs> Academy, so. Oh, that's uh, good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, good. Like, it's it's extremely nonsensical and very enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're if you enjoy absurd, so. it's absurd. Yeah, it's uh, absurd. To the nth degree, yeah. yeah. They had a mission oh, to Moscow. Yeah. <laughs> they did. Um, well... <laughs> on that note <laughs> let's, let's end let's end this show the way we always end this show Chris you know it 
Yeah, with the police academy theme. I think that's it.